Look, y'all, first of all, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you guys so much for joining us on tonight. This particular word, like I was about to caution you, it's one of them It's coming from, for your neck, it's coming for your throat, for your esophagus. If there's anybody that you live in your feelings, it's coming for you, it's coming for you, your mom and them, and for you and you. What is up, everybody? Thank you for joining me on tonight. I'm so thankful that you are allowing me to serve you on this beautiful Sunday night, depending on where you are in the world, Sunday morning, wherever you are, well, Monday morning, wherever you are in the world, we thank you so much for joining us on tonight. Take your screenshot, tag us. I'm ready to get to work because I have so much to share with you and little time to do it. So if you would, would you share this link? Let somebody know, hey, it's time the World War Me series is continuing, and tonight we're talking about In My Feelings. I need you to check out this message. So we're going to start this message from 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to read a few, a few verses of Scripture that I believe will corroborate my claim for tonight's preaching presentation. 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to launch at verse 12. It says, Now it was told... King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and the fattest sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. That's just not extra information. That's intentional. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Our clause of concern and our verse of importance and where we're going to perform a biblical surgical operation on tonight lives and takes residence in verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. God, thank you for this time to come together. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for just the opportunity to come together, to feast on your word, to spiritually grow. And as my typical request, oh God, allow me to be the PA system of heaven, the soundtrack of heaven, so that you could use this message to touch the hearts of your people. All the study means absolutely nothing if you aren't seen as glorified and if you aren't magnified. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody who agrees with that prayer and you are excited for tonight's message, would you drop a man in the comment section? Amen. 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 And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Not some of his might, not low key, but high key. David danced before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to get straight to work. So for part 13 of this World War Me series, I would like to speak around this thought, around this subject for the time that we have together in my feelings. <laughs> in my feelings. Church family, one of the worst place that you could ever live. One of the worst place that you and I can have listed as our place of residence is for us to live in our feelings. Drop the comment right now. Don't live there. Yeah, don't live there. One of the worst places that you and I can have listed as our place of residence is for us to live in our feelings. Because like we articulated before, feelings are wonderful servants, but they are terrible masters. Our feelings could serve us well when we have mastered them, but our feelings can produce hell when they have mastered us. And listen, listen, anytime we live in our feelings, the enemy is going to make sure that he becomes your mailman. The enemy is going to make sure that he becomes your mailman so that he can send packages your way that have been shipped by hell with the hopes and desire to activate and get us to engage in self-sabotaging behavior. I'm going to say that again. We coming out like this just in the introduction of this message. I don't even know if I've been up here seven minutes, but I'm going to say it one more time. Anytime we live in our feelings, rest assured the devil will do everything he can to become our mailman so that he can continuously and intentionally send us packages that have been shipped by hell to get us to engage in self sabotaging behavior listen he's after your joy he doesn't want you to dance like David David was dancing this whole biblical narrative is about joy he doesn't want you to have joy and I think the question we need to ask ourselves is do you know where your dancing shoes are when is the last time you had joy and I understand something now about the enemy he wants to activate and agitate impulsive behavior he wants us to respond with reaction not control see listen he knows i cannot stop god from blessing them i cannot stop god's principles for work from working i cannot stop them from reaching the people and reaching the audience that god has ordained for them to reach oh but if i can get them to be be reactive to the storm if I can get them to be reactive to the comment section, y'all not talking to me. If I can get them to be reactive to that racial slur, if I can get them to be reactive to that rude individual who just had a basket in Walmart that hit the back of your foot and then looked at you and said, could you please hurry up? If I can get you to respond with reactive and impulsive behavior, no, I can't take what God is doing from your life, but if I could discredit your character. There it is. I can't take your gift. We learned this. Your gift makes room, but your character makes residence. But nobody wants to eat a five-star meal off a trash can lid. And so he's like, no, I, I, I can't take it away. But if I can get them to live in their feelings, if I can get them to be reactive, if I can get for them to be impulsive, I'll discredit their character. And if I could discredit their character, they'll never have the ear of the audience that they were supposed to reach. Because God will forgive you, but people won't. 
And I have to do something in my power to get you to discredit your character, to get you to discredit your integrity. So if you live in your feelings, this is an area where the enemy can agitate you so that he can get you to behave reactively. See, this is why it's dangerous for us to walk around with untreated wounds. When we try to hide our trauma, the enemy knows about that trauma and that trauma will become his button. So anytime you get close to doing something that gives God glory, he's going to push that button. Anytime you get close into reaching somebody on your job, he's going to let something happen to push that button. Maybe they'll curse her out. Yeah, maybe they'll curse her out. Maybe they'll give her an eye roll or a neck, neck type swear. Maybe I can get them to do something to discredit their character. He wants us to live out of our impulses. He wants to rob you of your joy and your ability to dance, and he wants you to quit. You know why we quit? I believe many times we quit because we don't see the return. We quit because we don't see the return on our investment of energy and effort that we have put in something or on someone, and we have our own deadline on when this should have been transformative. We have our own deadline on when this should have been transformative. What if I were to tell you, could it be one of the reasons your anxiety, your anxiety is so high is due to all of your by nows? <laughs> I should have been married by now. I thought I'd be further down the line by now. I thought my spouse would have changed by now. The way I've been serving and worshiping, God, you should have answered my prayer by now. My teenager should have got it together by now. My health should be restored by now. I thought God answered my prayers by now. I thought he would have. By now, I thought she would have. By now, I thought this would have. All of the by nows have the propensity to heighten our anxiety, and then we start entertaining the language of quit. Quit. I don't see the return of it on my investment of energy and effort on this person or on this thing. I don't know if it's going to happen, so I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit that ministry. I'm going to quit that marriage. I'm going to quit serving here. I'm going to quit doing this. And listen, even though you may feel as though you have valid reasons to quit, that doesn't mean you have the right to quit. I feel like I'm talking to somebody just because you have valid reasons in your mind on why you should quit. That doesn't mean you have the right to quit because you could be right on the brink of the answered prayer. You could be right on the brink of the breakthrough. You could be right on the brink of the miracle. You don't know how close you are. You don't know when your due season is due. <laughs> be weary and not well doing for in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not you telling me you're going to faint and your due season could be in two days you're going to faint and your due season could be in two hours you're going to faint and your due season could be in two years you don't know when your due is due so the enemy tries to get us to quit and I feel as though I'm talking to somebody that the language of quitting has been orbiting around in your mind 
quitting on that ministry, quitting on that marriage, or God forbid, quitting on your life. But there is something still in the reservoir of your soul that says, don't give up now. There's still this dream that's leaping in your bosom that's saying, don't give up now. Don't walk away now. Don't quit now. Some of us, you tried to quit, but you can't. There's just something on the inside of you that just believes all things are going to work together. And anytime you throw in the towel, you serve the type of God that's going to throw the towel right back. This towel doesn't mean quit. It means wipe your sweat. It means get your faith back up. Get your hope back up. Get your prayer life back up. Get your worship back up. Get your serving back up. Get your giving back up. Get your devotion back up. This does not mean quit. This is the place that you press through. I feel like I'm trying to help somebody on the nights. The enemy is after your joy, and he tries to get you to quit, and he wants you to live in your feelings so that you can be reactive. Because he knows if I can get them to be reactive, I can cause their joy to be subtracted. Yeah. If I can get them to be reactive, I can get their joy to be subtracted. And I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we controlled or are we reactive? See, I want to show you something. Look at this. In Numbers chapter 20, I want to show you this. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 6, look at this. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock. Somebody put speak. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the presence, from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Uh Uh-oh. Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock. And you can't say it was an accident because it says it struck the rock twice. With his staff and water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. I'm going to break this down, but I want to give you a word that I feel God gave me. A lot of people think because the water is flowing, we cool. There are a lot of ministers that think because people are coming, because you have the numbers on your live stream, because you have the following, because the water is flowing, we cool. But you living in your feelings cause for you to behave some type of way where you and God have some type of issue where God's like, because you did not honor me and the sight of these people, you will not inherit. You will not go into the promised land. And a lot of people think you and God are straight because you're mistaken the water's flowing as though you're obedient. Now look at this. I want to show you this. This is so powerful. In Numbers chapter 14, all of this connects. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people tempt, treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with the plague and destroy them, but I will make you 
Moses, I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. So God's like, listen, I'm tired of them complaining. I'm tired of them always having something to say. You know what? I'm done with them. I'm going to just annihilate them. Look what Moses says. Moses, verse 13, says to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now, May the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parent to the third and the fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people. Just as you have pardoned them from the time they have left Egypt until now. Look at this, verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Now, every time I hear this passage, I'm always reminded about the power of intercession. I heard this preached years ago, but look at the power of intercession. Somebody interceded on your behalf, and God was about to do something, but because he interceded, and people shout. That's not what I see when I look at the text. (laughs) that's not what I see I see God comes to him in the 14th chapter and he's like okay there's these people who keep complaining Um, I need to remove them I'm going to make you to be a greater nation and stronger but Moses is like no don't do that but God knows that what's going to happen in Numbers 20 is they're going to agitate some type of behavior in you that's going to cause for you to disqualify yourself from going to the promised land. What I'm trying to get us to understand is just because you want them in your 14th chapter, doesn't mean they're conducive for your 20 chapter because these are the same people who agitated a weakness in Moses. Moses had an anger problem. Moses had an anger issue, and these are the same people that God said, let me remove them now so they won't agitate a nature in you that can cause for you to disqualify yourself. Do you trust when God removes someone for your life in your 14th chapter? Because he knows what's going to happen in your 20th chapter. This is a person that if you keep them around, they're going to agitate your lust. This is a person, if you keep them around, they're going to agitate your bitterness. So I have to remove the knife now so that I don't have to remove the knife from your back later. This is good, y'all. Do you trust when God removes them in 14? Because he knows what's happening in 20. Listen, y'all, the whole purpose of this series, the whole purpose of this series was and is to be a declaration of war on self. World War Me is all about declaring war on what has declared war on me. So we have gone to war with loneliness and we have gone to war with lust and we have gone to war with insecurity and we have gone to war with overthinking because we learned our life moves in the direction of our most dominant thought. 
Our life is constructed by how we think. And last week, we dealt and went to war with the lack of purpose. Because we've learned that purpose is our life's target. It is our life's bullseye. Therefore, if I don't know my purpose, and, if my, and it's my life's target, if I don't know my life's target, I'm going to live life aimlessly. And when I live life aimlessly, this is how bystanders get hit. This is why that last relationship hit different. This is why that last breakup hit different. This is why what happened in that last community hit different. This is why what happened to you at that last church hit different. Because maybe I was in a place that didn't help me aim at my target. But on the night, I'm just feeling led by the Spirit. Let's go to war with joylessness. The reason the enemy wants you to live in your feelings is because he's after your joy. And I firmly believe on the syllabus of hell, on the syllabus of hell, one of its objectives and goals is to get the Christ follower to not have joy. To not have joy. You're blessed and it doesn't feel like it. And I, what I don't want is for a whole generation to never experience joy and be so thirsty that we're drinking toxicity and just call it an acquired taste. When was the last time you danced? When is the last time you had joy due to the presence of God? And church family, if I be honest, I have a confession to make. I have a confession to make that it may not sit well with certain people, and that's okay, because I do not preach for support. I preach from obedience. That's the word for somebody. Whatever God has called you to do, to preach, to sing, to be, have your own law firm, whatever it is, make sure you're doing it for, from obedience and not for support. In fact, you know what I have unearthed and discovered in the last few years of my ministry tenure? That desired support can be a trap. Desire support can be a trap. Could this be one of the reasons why your joy meter is so low? Could this be one of the reasons why you're so downcast in your soul because of desired support? You thought that they would support you. You thought that they would always be there. You thought that they would buy your book. You thought that they would download your song. You thought that they would reshare. You thought that they would put other people on. You thought that they would repost. You thought that they would subscribe. You thought that they would comment. You thought that they would like. You thought that they were your day ones. Be listen, anytime you're looking more for their approval than having endorsement speak Holy Spirit anytime I'm looking more for their approval than heaven's endorsement this always puts me in a position where I'm questioning the effectiveness of my gift versus carrying out the obedience for my gift I need to say that again whenever I'm looking more for their approval than heaven's endorsement this could cause me to question the effectiveness of my gift versus carrying out the obedience for my gift if you know that God has called you for a task, you have to understand this. Whenever God calls a man, whenever God calls a woman, whenever God calls you, it always comes with separation. It always comes with separation. In fact, the word holy in itself means to be separate. 
Come out from among them and be separate, thus saith the Lord. Whenever God calls you to a work, whenever God calls you to a task, whenever God calls you to put your hands to the plow for a particular assignment, it is always followed by a separation. It is always followed by a breakup. It is always followed by a departure. It is always followed by something ending because God is saying, listen, if I'm going to take you here, if I'm going to take you from level to level, if I'm going to take you from realm to realm, if I'm going to take you from altitude to altitude, that's going to require for an umbilical cord to be cut. Preach Holy Spirit. If I'm going to do a new thing in your life, see, I can't feed you with what I have for you as long as you're holding on to that familiar womb. I can't feed you and I can't birth you into a new realm as long as you don't want to go down the birth canal of the process. The umbilical cord has to be cut. And I don't know if there's anybody else who has arrived to this place besides myself. I've arrived to this place. Lord, whatever you got to cut. Whatever you got to cut, cut it. If there's a relationship, cut it. If it's a mindset, cut it. If it's an addiction, cut it. If it's alcohol, cut it. If it's weed, cut it. If it's laziness, cut it. Whatever it is, cut it. Because I've learned I cannot heal in the same place I got sick. And sometimes it's going to take for me to make decisions that hurts my heart. Oh, but it heals my soul. Whatever you got to do, Lord, cut. Somebody drop the comment in the room, cut. Cut, cut, whatever it is, Lord, cut. Whatever it is that you need to do, cut. I don't need to stay in this womb anymore, cut. I don't need to stay in this place anymore, cut. I don't need to stay in this depression anymore, cut. I don't need to stay in this fear anymore, cut, because I'm going to be birthed to another realm. I'm going to be birthed to another realm. And I understand some of us may not like this, but I have a confession to make. And that confession is I am tired of church as usual. A lot of church services are catering to your feelings versus catering to your wisdom. See, what causes for the tree to survive a storm is not due to the length of his branches. No, it's due to the depths of his roots. And a lot of churches have just been giving us histrionics. A lot of churches have just been giving us these feel-good, sugar-coated messages. Isn't it crazy? How are you going to preach a sugar-coated message when we're called to be salt? <laughs> God wants us to be mature, but a lot of churches are just giving you messages around your feelings. I'm tired of church as usual. I'm tired of the mundane. I'm tired of the falsified, ritualistic view of church and Christianity, mainly because that is not what I'm seeing with the church and Christianity of the Bible. I noticed that in the Bible there was power. I noticed that in the Bible there was moves. And I noticed that there was a sound. I stated this before. I did sometimes last year, but I'm going to break this down. I noticed that everything that has great power is followed by a great sound. Everything that has great power is followed by a great sound. I could be touched 
with what Louisiana has gone through and other Gulf Coast states if they, as they have gone through Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Sally. Because here in Houston, Texas, we've gone through hurricanes as well. Hurricane Harvey and Tropical Storm Imelda. And now we've got some Tropical Storm Beta that's coming our way. And I'm praying for the Lord to be a breeze and push it away. We went through something called Hurricane, Har- Hurricane Ike. And Hurricane Ike was a beast of a storm. It was a great storm. And we knew it was a great storm due to its great sound. The way the winds were screaming. You haven't heard thunder until you've heard the thunder of a hurricane. It is like a soul jolting thunder. You might be used to hearing thunder just from a thunderstorm, but the thunder from a hurricane just hits a little different. It caused great damage and it was a great storm and we knew it was a great storm because it had a great Sound. A few weeks ago, our visual media team and our streaming team, we went to the gun range. And before we can go back to the shooting area, we had to put on these headphones because the place that we were going to, we were going to have something in our hand that had great power. And what had great power was followed by a, you guessed it, great sound. From airport to airport, from airplane to airplane, I noticed the greater the size of the plane, the greater the sound. There were people underneath the plane who were loading the luggage, who were telling the plane where to go. They had headphones on, not because they're listening to their favorite record, not because they're streaming Apple Music or Pandora. No, they're doing it because they're by something that has a great power and whatever has great power is followed by a great sound sound is so important that God put this sound inside of a baby I'm talking about a three-month-old parent dependent developing child can release a sound if you are a parent you know what I'm talking about if this baby has a dirty diaper if the baby is hungry it will release a sound that can shake the walls It can release a sound that will wake you up out of your sleep. It will release a sound that will cause for you to move because power and sound is tied to a move. Now it makes sense why the devil wants you to be quiet. I'm about to throw this towel, but I need it. Now it makes sense why the devil wants you to shut up. Now it makes sense why the devil wants you to be possessed with fear so that you'll never use your voice, so that you'll never use, do that podcast, so that you'll never sing that song because he understands that you have great power and everything that has great power has a sound. And if you have a sound, it will also cause a move. See, we can't expect to see a movement until we become a moved people. And your moved people, it becomes when you have this power because you have this great power which possesses a great sound. I'm going to show this to you in the word. Somebody drop the comment, sound, sound, sound. Look at this, Matthew chapter 21, Matthew chapter 21, verse 7. It says, they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who, cried, who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he come, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city, uh-oh, look at that word, was moved, saying, who is this? And so the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. They cried out, which is a sound, and that sound caused the whole city 
to be moved. I'm going to give you more Bible. Our foundational text, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 15. It says, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the, what's that word? Sound of the trumpet. So we see the ark of the covenant is moving and we see a sound. Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to give you more Bible. Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see I have given Jericho into into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priest shall blow the trumpet. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the, what's that word? Sound of the trumpet that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the walls of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up every man straight before him. There's something powerful about sound because sound is tied to a move. Therefore, if there was power tied to sound, there is nothing more dangerous than a silent church. God, this is so good. There's nothing more dangerous than a silent church. Silent on racism, silent on abortion, silent on sexual immorality. How in the world are we going to be a people who give sound doctrine, but we remain silent? (laughs) I'm possessed with sound doctrine, but I'm silent on equality. I'm silent on real issues. I would like to say, peradventure, this is why a lot of people are disenchanted with the church, because we're silent on real issues. We're silent on real issues, and what God is looking for is for us to be a people who will not be silent. A people who are fearless and who are bold, we will not be silent because we understand that we are the ones that carry the most powerful message in all of eternity. We carry the gospel, and I believe my assignment on tonight and what the Spirit is leading for me to do is to address a people When was the last time you danced? I I, I want you to dance again. I want you to have joy. I understand in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of COVID, I want you to know that the joy of the Lord is your strength. David dancing is symbolic of joy. When was the last time you danced? Why is it miserable? For you to be a follower of the way. God is saying, I want you to dance again. And I want your hearts to burn for me again. What what we see in our foundational text, what we see about David is David sees the Ark of the Covenant coming into the city of David. And David then, once he sees the Ark of the Covenant, King David begins to dance. He has joy. He's beginning to dance. He's dancing without his crown. He's dancing without his kingly robes. He's dancing without his kingly ephod. The Bible says he danced in a linen ephod. Why? Because at this moment, my title doesn't matter. 
At this moment, my position doesn't matter. Oh, and what I think COVID has exposed, what I think this pandemic has exposed is perhaps maybe the church was so caught up with titles. Oh, we about to get in trouble and we about to get some emails. We were so caught up with titles, but were we caught up with the presence? We have archbishop and we have episcopal pastor this and we have prophet this and we have prophetess that and we have green rooms and we have lights and we have LED screens and we have smoke and we have big chairs in the pulpit and we have RSVP seating. We have all of these things, but do we have the presence of God? Do we have the presence? See, David didn't care about his position. He cared more about the presence of the one who gave him the position. Did y'all hear what I just said? He, he didn't care about what is supposed to be normal. He had so much joy. And why did he have joy? Because of the presence of God. How in the world are you following Jesus? You possess the presence of God. But there's no joy. There's no joy. He was so excited that he had the Ark of the Covenant, which was symbolic of the presence of God, that he began to dance. He didn't care about titles. He didn't care about position. See, listen, when we care more about the presentation versus the presence, when we care more about the position than the position giver, it exposes that our hearts are drifting. Our hearts are drifting and our hearts are in the wrong place. And by the grace of God made this message convince you that God wants you to have joy again. I love when I get emails and it says, listen, after I listened to that message, I prayed for the first time in three months. After I listened to that message, I called somebody just to say I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be impressive. I'm trying to be impactful. And God is saying, I want you to dance again. I want you to have joy again. I want you to fall in love with me. I want our, honey, our honeymoon phase to be back you know in a honeymoon phase when you were just so caught up with God and you were reading the text and you could read in so much that you weren't getting sleepy but you were falling in love with it I want that back I, I want I want that back I want the joy of the Lord to be back in your heart because that is the you that I miss listen for what God is about to do in your life you can't afford to have just a spark do you hear what I just said for what God is about to do in your home, you can't afford to just have a spark. For what God is about to do in this church, you can't have just a spark. And so before God could shift you for what's coming, I have to address the minimal fire that's burning. Yeah, before I could shift you to what's coming, I have to address the minimal fire that's burning. I'm telling you, listening to everybody listening to this message, this is a time that you need to shift. And God is trying to shift you. He's trying to shift your priorities. He's trying to shift what you thought was important. He's trying to shift from being one that just fits in your schedule to where now everything revolves around him. Because if it isn't conducive for my relationship with him, it doesn't need to be a part of my schedule. God is trying to shift you. Can I get somebody to say shift? I don't want to just be in a place where I hear hype. I need some handles. I don't want to just be in a place where I get inspiration. No, I need some impartation. I don't want just a pep rally. I need some power because I have to shift. I have to shift because of what God is trying to do. And what I notice in the word of God, many times when you're about to shift, God sometimes doesn't just call you by name. He calls you by your assignment, which is why I believe many times God will change people's names. 
Your name is no longer Abram, it's Abraham, because you're the father of many nations. So every, t- every single time I say Abraham, I'm saying assignment, come forth. Your name is no longer Simon, no, it's Peter, which means rock, because your assignment is for you to be solid. So every time I say Peter, I'm saying solid is your assignment, come forth. And even if God doesn't change your name, he still will call you by your assignment. Gideon, you mighty man of valor. (laughs) Because there is an assignment that you have to possess and there's an assignment that you have to fulfill i'm trying to convince somebody that you have to shift you have to shift for your bloodline you have to shift for your marriage you have to shift for your future marriage you have to shift for your children you have to shift for your unborn children you have oil on your life for this shift now somebody asked the question they said jerry i I don't really know what it means you have oil. What, what is this origin of oil and anointing? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to break it down for you. This, this practice of oil was a practice that started from shepherds. What would happen is there would be lice, fleas, and different insects that would get into the wool of the sheep. And as they would get into the wool of the sheep, they would climb up towards the sheep's head and burrow themselves in the sheep's ear and kill it. And so what the shepherds would do is they would pour oil on the sheep's head to make the wool of the sheep slippery. (laughs) I'm going to bother that later. It would put oil on it to make the wool of the sheep slippery. So every single time there would be a flea, a tick, or an insect that would try to get to the sheep's ear, it couldn't do it due to the oil. There's some things I want you to take away from this. When you are anointed, this is your divine superpower. It is your supernatural strength for your particular assignment. And so what God wants to do is he wants to anoint you because there is a work that you have to do, but you have to be able to hear. And so what we have to understand is that the enemy will send demonic ticks. He will send demonic fleas. He will send demonic voices to try to get in your ear. Because if I can get in your ear and agitate your feelings, you will not be able to carry out what God is trying to do for your life. And then on second part, I want you to know the reason God puts oil on you is because oil makes you slippery. Certain things can grab you when you're slippery. Depression really can't hold me when I'm slippery. Suicidal thoughts may come, but they really can't hold me because I'm too oily. Can I get somebody to drop the comment in the room? I'm oily. Now, while you shouting and running man emoji, I want you to know something, though. If you're anointed, it comes with three things, attacks, giants, and crushing. (laughs) But like I lost my whole amen. I'm like, yes, I'm oily. Yes, I'm oily. Fire, fire. I'm oily. Hold up. (laughs) If if you're anointed, oh, it's going to come with attacks. It's going to come with giants. Yep. And and, and it's going to come with crushing. See, but here's the thing, though. When the attacks come, don't be confused from them. Be confirmed by them. Don't be confused from them. Be confirmed by them. Because thieves don't target empty houses. There is something that the enemy is trying to get you to be distracted by, so he's attacking you. Anointing comes with attacks. And if you're anointed, listen, you don't hear nothing about Goliath once Saul is ordained king. You hear about Goliath once David is anointed to be king. Let me say that again. I don't really hear nothing in the Bible about Goliath when Saul is chosen to be king. When we hear Goliath is after David was anointed to be king. Go look at the text. We don't hear nothing about Goliath 
when Saul is ordained king. We hear about Goliath after David was anointed to be king. Because one of the signs and the litmus test that you have been anointed is when you wake up giants. Who am I preaching to on this Sunday night? Is anybody in a season where it seems like stuff just pops up? Stuff just keep popping up out of nowhere. Things just keep popping up out of nowhere. Financial giants, a health giant, historical giants, a slandering giant, a criticizing giant. Anytime you're anointed, you'll wake up a giant. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing. Giants don't live in the wilderness they're in your promise because they're designed to keep you out. But I'm going to give you good news. Anytime hell puts a giant in your path, it's for intimidation purposes only. That's it. Every giant's going to fall. So if you ever have a financial giant, historical giant, slandering giant, health giant, the giant is there to intimidate you. But you're called to be imitators of God. You're called to be imitators of God. So anytime a giant is present, this is irrefutable evidence where that giant's standing, that's mine. This is good, y'all. That's mine. I'm not intimidated. No, I'm going to be an intimidate. I'm going to be an imitator after God. And if God can do all things, and if he's a giant slayer, guess what that means I am too. I'm a giant slayer as well. Anointing comes with attacks. It comes with giants. And this last one we don't like. It comes with crushing. Everybody wants to be anointed, but nobody wants to be crushed. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is also known as the Mount of Olives. It is literally, it means the place of crushing. Jesus' favorite place was a place that caused him to be crushed. And as he's there, he prayed this prayer three times. Father, if it be possible, take this cup away from me. If it be possible, take this cup away from me. If it be possible, take this cup away from me. And this thing that God revealed to me that I shared around resurrection time was so powerful to me. As he's praying, Father, if it be possible, take this cup away from me. The Bible says he began to sweat blood. That is a medical term called hermetidrosis. It means when you are, th when you are going through so much agony, you literally begin to sweat blood. And I noticed in that moment, God was answering Jesus' prayer. If it be possible, take this cup away from me. Blood falls. My will is for you to shed your blood. My will is for you to shed your blood. Because if you're going to be anointed, it's going to come with the tax. If you're going to be anointed, yeah, it's going to come with giants. And if you're going to be anointed, you're going to have to be crushed. But you have to remember that certain things can't hold me because I'm slippery. So, so what are some things that's taken our joy? If you are living in your feelings, I'm going to give you some, some things that I've identified that the enemy is using to take our joy. Y'all ready for this? Number one, controlled outcome syndrome. Oh, yeah. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you, bro. Yes, sir. The reason you don't have any joy and the reason you live in your feelings is because you think you can control outcomes. If 2020, if it hasn't taught you anything, it should have taught you this. Man plans, God decides. <laughs> you control nothing. In fact, really control is an illusion. You really control nothing. You can go to law school to get the law degree, but you can't make a law firm hire you. 
I could throw events and tell people we're going to have this keynote speaker, this keynote speaker, but I can't make people buy tickets. I could spend thousands of dollars on marketing, but I can't make people show up. People can buy tickets, but then not show up. I cannot control anything. Listen, you write your purpose in permanent marker. But ma'am, sir, write the steps in pencil. <laughs> yeah, write your purpose in permanent marker. But you better write the steps in pencil because God's going to do a lot of erasing to what you thought. <laughs> the reason a lot of us have no joy is because of a controlled outcome syndrome. Number two, the reason we don't have joy and we live in our feelings is due to a scarcity mentality. You know what a scarcity mentality is? I believe God has a shortage. There's a woman right now watching this message. You know why you're settling? Is because you believe God has a shortage of kingdom men. So you're settling with the now man versus the right now. You're settling for the now man versus the right man because you believe heaven has a shortage. Here in our city now, people are flocking to stores, not caring about other people, grabbing as much water as they can because it's a scarcity mentality. And the reason you keep getting reactive and the reason you don't have any joy is because you actually believe heaven is running out. <laughs> He's running out of kingdom men. He's running out of people who want to hear what you have to say. He's running out of people who will purchase your book that you're about to publish. He's running out of people who will listen to your podcast. He's running out of viewers that will check out your YouTube live. And so since heaven has a shortage and I try to control it, you have no joy. But if I can get you to rest in the fact that heaven does not have shortages. The kingdom of heaven isn't running short on any supply. And if you could rest in the fact that God has me, you'll see that he lives in a constant state of more than enough. The third reason, here come your neck. The third reason a lot of us don't have joy is due to prolonged tiredness. Pro, you know why you want to quit? <laughs> You're tired. You're tired. Some of us, y'all need a nap. For real, like you need a nap. You say, I'm just so tired of this. I'm just, no, your, your physical anatomy is tired. You need a vacation. You need a break. You need a rest. No adulting for a day. No adulting for three days, a week. A lot of us don't even recognize the reason you have no joy is because you're constantly living on fumes. And the enemy knows when you walk around exhausted, maybe I can get them to have exhausted faith. And if you're like me, when Jerry walks around, walks around constantly tired, I always catch a cold. And the enemy knows if I can have them walking around with exhausted faith, they'll have faith with the cold. Saved and sealed, but infected with spiritual influenza. Because you need a break. You're just tired. You don't need to walk away from that ministry, that marriage. You just need a vacation. That's it. It is a violation of the Sabbath principle. And the reason you have no joy is because many of us are walking around on fumes. Number four, the reason a lot of us have no joy is due to weighted relationships. Weighted relationships. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. A lot of us, you always think your weighted relationship is a friend, but a lot of times it's your mama. Yep, I went there. I'm talking about your mama. <laughs> your mama. Your mama is the reason you're so tired. Your daddy, your brother, your sister. Weighted relationships. Every time they talk to you, they put their burdens on you. Every time you see them. Y'all ever had those individuals that when you see their name on your phone, you're like, oh, God. You just have them. They just come with the weight. 
And you have no joy because I'm surrounded by weighted people. And you got to get to the place where you stop apologizing for your evolution. The reason some people keep complaining about you is because you're leveling up so much and they're compatible with an expired version of you. They're compatible with an expired version of you. And the more Jesus gets your heart, the more you change. And the more Jesus causes for you to change, the less you need them. And the less you need them, the less significant they feel. So they constantly keep complaining and whining to you because they're only compatible with an expired version of you. I know that hurt, but I'm trying to help somebody. Number five, the reason a lot of us don't have joy is due to a presence deficiency. Presence deficiency. David danced. He didn't wear his kingly robes. He had his linen ephod, that is his undergarment. He didn't care what people think. He just cared about the presence. When is the last time you got lost in prayer? I'm not talking about Siri countdown for 20 minutes. I'm talking about you're lost in prayer, lost in the presence of God. And I've learned I'm trying to help you. I've learned my power line is tied to my closet. It's not about what I do here on stage. I firmly feel as though if you only worship when you're on stage, I don't want you to worship. I I, I want you, everybody on stage and what you're receiving right now is Jerry's overflow. That's it. Y'all receiving my overflow. I constantly want to stay in the overflow. I don't want to live a life, Lord, fill me up because I got to preach. No, I don't want to live a life like that. I want to live in the overflow. And the reason you have no joy When was the last time you danced? Where is your dancing shoes? You might be like, man, 2020 is hard. 2020 was a difficult year. But he promised he's going to give you peace that surpasses your understanding. I'm not saying that what we're going through is not difficult. I'm not saying what we're going through is uncomfortable, but it should not be a robber of your joy. Happiness is based on what happens. Joy is a state. And if I be real, as long as Jerry knows his name is written in the Lamb Book of Life, as long as heaven knows my name, as long as God is glorified in my life, there may be things I don't like, but I don't live in my feelings because my feelings are my servants. They're not my masters. I don't live in my feelings. I live in a constant state of gratitude, and that's what keeps me me having joy I have to pray I have to seek the Lord because I recognize God you're my everything you're my everything and I don't want to live life on fumes or liken unto this message I don't ever want to think me and you are cool because the water's flowing number six the reason a lot of us have our joy stolen is because we have unanchored faith unanchored faith. Y'all ever been on a boat? I'm not talking about like a cruise boat. But if you ever been on like a boat on a lake, you better drop your anchor. Because if you don't, the constant waves will constantly take you to destinations that you didn't want to go to. Is there anybody you just constantly keep drifting over into depression? Your thoughts just constantly keep drifting you over to where you're not sleeping at night and you roll over and the alarm's about to go off. Have you ever like you couldn't sleep all night but you fell asleep the last five minutes before the alarm went off? (laughs) It's just your thoughts just keep drifting you over into moods and it just keeps drifting you over into outlooks and you just keep drifting. I need you to have anchor faith. It could be a storm, but I'm anchored. It could be a trial, but I'm anchored. It could be a hurricane, but I'm anchored. That doesn't mean I won't bend 
due to the wind, but it does mean I won't break due to my faith. Last point, the reason a lot of us don't have joy is because you have secret warfares. You're in a war that nobody knows about. And so when you're in a war that nobody knows about, nobody can have your back. There are certain seasons in my life where I have to understand, me and my wife, we like this. We side to side. What's going on? Knuck if you buck. We ready. Whatever the enemy's going to do, we ready. But then there are other seasons when we're like this. She has my six, and I have her six. This means we're surrounded. Can you identify the season of warfare when the enemy's before you versus when the enemy's all around you? Because when you have the enemy all around you, you have to have somebody that has your back in prayer. You have to have somebody that has your back in worship. You have to have somebody that has your back in devotion. Because I don't see every angle. And the reason a lot of us have no joy is because you're fighting porn on your own. You're fighting depression on your own. You're fighting insecurities on your own. You're fighting that molestation on your own. And God is saying, listen, you don't have to fight warfares on your own. If you don't look at what happened with David, when you're out of position, you'll be in a position to face wars that you wouldn't be facing. He never would have engaged with Bathsheba if he would have been at war like the rest of the kings. And a lot of us were out of position and were hurting and have no joy due to our secret warfares. I felt the need to come here on the night to give you this message. God is saying, I want you to dance again. How do I get my dance back? It's in the presence. What David was showing us is in the presence. It's not in money. It's not in promotion. It's not in accolades. It's not in your possessions. It's in the presence of God. God, help us to be women and men who are caught up with your presence not caught up with the problem because if we bring the problem over into your presence, the problem is still there, but the presence reminds me that you're bigger. And I pray, God, that we'll be individuals who have our dance again, our joy again, because we have your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.